Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. So today we're going to be talking about something that is um, has been weighing heavily on my mind, uh, the decision whether or not to become a parent. Um I'm in this phase of life right now where uh, my husband and I are kind of on the fence. And so true to my nature, I'm asking everyone I know who has kids, how did they decide that they were ready? Um, So I've been like harassing all my friends with kids and asking people who don't have kids, you know, why not? Um, So uh, yeah, I want to, I want to put this question to you. Um, you're a parent of a toddler, and I'd love to hear about your um, maybe your decision making process, how you got there. Ooh, I don't know if asking a parent of a toddler is the best audience <laughs> to ask about parenting. No, uh, it's it's a lot of fun, it's a lot of work. But like your husband and you, my husband and I struggled with the question too, because we have the privilege of making a decision about whether or not we were going to become parents. That was a yeah. really intentional decision that we were able to make thanks to lots of good family planning resources. Yeah. Uh, and we felt like there were a lot of good reasons not to have a kid. And um, they were very logical reasons. So trying to articulate why have a child was much harder because it felt very abstract. And Mm -hmm. the conversation that put it over the edge for me was when I was speaking with an ethics professor, uh, a good friend of mine named Dr. Kate Ott, who's up at Drew Theological. And I don't know that she knew at the time what she was helping me discern, Mm -hmm. but but she really was. And she talked about her two children (laughs) and raising kids for the common good that she hoped she could provide an environment in which her children would learn to care for themselves and to care for other people. And uh, for me, that was the last piece that I needed to come up with an ethical reason for having a child. And so that helped me articulate why I wanted to become a parent because Matt and I enjoy a lot of privilege, a lot of resources, and we felt like we could share that with a child and provide the best environment possible um, for them to thrive and to become good citizens of the world. And so that is a, a very highbrow way of thinking about it. But that really was what gave me the courage to take the risk, not knowing what would happen if and when we tried to have a child. But it was about around that theme of raising a kid for the common good. Hmm. Yeah, that um, it's a hard one because, like you said, there's a I can come up with reasons all day why not to have a kid. Um, we really like our life right now. We have a lot of big plans too, where my husband and I are both really, um, curious about a lot of things in the world. Um, place there's places we want to go. There's, um, businesses we want to start and things we want to try. Um, and we're both very aware that having a, taking the time to have a kid is going to really, um, shift our, definitely shift our priorities. Um, and make us rethink, I think, some of the plans that we have for our, our lives, but also um, take time away from those other pursuits. And so we've really been thinking, um, I I don't know, it's just, it's it's a hard one. Um, and having, 
having a kid like contributing to the common good I think is definitely part of why we do that's the thing that's hard it's like we when we do talk about having a kid we we kind of think we want one but we can't really articulate why we want one it's like a lot of our friends are having kids um and watching them with their children has been really a joy um and this phase of life that we're in right now we've we've been married a couple years we're in our early 30s and um we're just getting to that point where it's people are asking you know and family wants to know and can we just it's, can we just uh, pause can we just pause right here folks yeah public service announcement <laughs> do not ask people about this do not yeah. ask anyone if when how many children they want to have there are so many assumptions built into that it's just because you're being a voyeur and you want to know but until someone comes to you and says they want to talk about it just don't ask oh amen End to that rant yeah, you know, I have some really close friends who have struggled with infertility. I am keenly aware of it's not just a given that when you decide you're going to have a child that it's just going to magically happen the the first time you make, you know, you make that decision. Um and I also have watched what they've gone through as they've dealt with people and they're really insensitive questions like, well, it's so intrusive questions too that are are um like, well, are you having enough sex and did you do it right? And what are you doing wrong? And things like that. Like I've had to watch, um, a really close friend endure that kind of, um, heartbreak on top of heartbreak of not being able to get pregnant in the first place for her. And it's just, um, yeah. So that is also in, in my mind as well as we make this decision, um, that it, the, assuming that it's just going to happen because we want it to, um, mm-hmm. isn't reality um and so for us it has a lot to do with just timing and where we are in our jobs right now the fact that we both have health insurance right now is a big reason in the pro column why we would go ahead and maybe try soon um because we don't know if we'll have health insurance later um if because it's tied to our jobs Mm -hmm. so um it's a that is a really a really difficult um complex just the big picture of it is all really complex and I don't know about you but I grew up in a family where um everybody has had kids really young um not I mean not young like young adults and um getting married and starting families in your early 20s is is the norm in my family and um I'm already outside of that norm and so when I was younger, I thought, I, I mean, just assumed I would have kids, get married young, have kids young. And the older I get, the less sure I am about about the kids question. Um, I don't know, maybe because I, I watch what other people are going through. And it is, I mean, it's challenging. And so I see that from the outside and, mm-hmm. and it is a factor. I don't right. know. Did you always know or always have a sense of one direction or another? I think it came in different waves at different stages of life. I think like you growing up in the South, in Southeast Georgia, family was the norm. And most adults that I interacted with were parents and had children in their mid to late 20s, I would say. Maybe some of them early 20s. So there was an assumption, I think, that that was in my future. 
Uh, and then as it got closer to a time when I would actually think about doing it, the question becomes different because it's no longer mm -hmm. abstract. But yep. I think it was in graduate school when I really encountered women for the first time who seemed to have purposefully chosen not to parent mm -hmm. in a traditional sense. And so it was the first time I even really had a model of what that would be. And I think it was the first time it became a possibility in my mind that I could actually do a lot of good in the world and not be a parent and maybe do even more for the world if I'm not parenting because my energy wouldn't be so focused on this one person who mm -hmm. needs so much. And so I definitely waffled back and forth. And I think if you, if you have the privilege and then take the time to be thoughtful about the decision, you really can make the most ethical decision for you and for your partner but it also allows for a lot more ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And I've never felt more vulnerable, I think, than when I was trying to get pregnant because of all of the unknowns of when it was going to happen. Would we have, what, what kind of child would we have? What kind of issues might they have? I mean, there's just so much vulnerability mm -hmm. uh, in, in your body, with your partner, in your life. I mean, I, I don't envy folks who are in that stage of trying to create a family. And I think even more so for queer families, when you were talking about the questions, I've definitely seen queer families who have kids and folks want to know all about how that works. And again, oh, gosh, like, let me business. go back. <laughs> let me mm -hmm. go back and say, just don't ask. It's not why, why does it matter? If you really want to learn about that, there are plenty of places online that you can learn about sure. that. And I yeah. would recommend the longest, shortest time podcast for that because they've got lots of episodes about ma baby making while queer. But, Absolutely. Uh, it's yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what happens to our culture of politeness, which I have issue with. But even in the South, that culture of politeness seems to go away when it when it has to do with kids. And everybody feels like they've got a stake in the game, which is just not true. Yeah, I can't tell you. I mean, I've gotten comments from family like, you're not getting any old younger and things like that. And it's like, mm, helpful. Thanks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that uh, the point you just made about, um, queer families, I think, um, so two of my best friends are, um, women who are married to each other and they, uh, they got married last year and they are, they want kids, um, probably sooner rather than later. Um, if you hear, you know, hearing them talk, they're excited to start their family, but it's a very different conversation for them, um, than it is for me and my husband. And I, we've had a lot of conversations about kids and, um, they, you know, the, the things that they have to think about, um, in order to get to that point where expanding their family is possible, like how do they want to do it and how much money will that cost? And do they want biological and if so, who would carry and things like that. Like they have, um, this whole world of decisions that, that my husband and I don't even have to think about. And, um, it's really reinforced to me the privilege that's inherent in just being able to decide, um, that we want to get pregnant or want to try. Um, and, and then, you know, that goes hand in hand with the, we also have the privilege of being able to prevent pregnancy that we don't want. And that is, um, not something that's available to everyone. And so I feel this decision in a bigger context often. And I have to remind myself that it's okay to think about what's, what we want and what's best for us and our 
and our partnership, our family that we're creating, um, and that it doesn't always have to be so, I don't like the word political, it, but, um, you know, when you're, when you're trying to live your life with an awareness of, of the bigger, of the, of the world and the bigger picture of things, it, it can sometimes be hard to lose track of, of that balance between what's best for you, what's best for your community and being mm-hmm. sensitive to others and, and all of that stuff. It's just things that I think about. That's why this decision is so fraught. <laughs> I know. And when you were talking about the ability to prevent pregnancy, I think it's really important for us to talk about or to name that the ability to become pregnant and the ability or desire to parent are not the same. They can Absolutely. be, they can be held together in the same body or couple, but not necessarily. And so just to name that there are people who can't, who aren't able to get pregnant, who want to parent. And there are people who can get pregnant who don't want to parent. Uh, And And there are people who can, can get pregnant, but don't want to parent a biological child. Right. That's a, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to make a family. Oh, there are preach. Yes. I've been thinking about that a lot too, about is biological family really a faithful calling? Uh, I think mm. I've seen that in, in some strains of Christianity, that biological family is what we are called to, but I don't really see that in the ministry of Jesus very much. Hmm. I think we're called to rethink family in a way that's not the nuclear family. Interesting. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit? Well, I mean, so there's the, 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 be fruitful and multiply that people cite mm-hmm. from Genesis as the reason to have lots of children. But the, the context in which that was written was a race of people who feared that they might die out. And we're no longer in that position anymore. Mm-hmm. We have 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, we have no, there's no reason to believe that our population is going to decrease uh, mm-hmm. over time. And so the, the charge to be fruitful and multiply to have many children doesn't really make sense in the same way the con- in the context that we're in today. And, I mean, we have these really challenging passages in the gospel where Jesus says, if you, if you don't hate your mother or father or your brother, I think, I'm not, I'm misquoting it, but basically if you don't reject your family of origin, you can't follow me. And And I think it's... Mm-hmm. I think there's some challenges there to articulate, but like, I think what he's saying there is our closest ties have to be beyond just who are we blood related to? Um, and what does community look like outside of just the people I am biologically connected to, but who, you know, who are my neighbors? Who is my community? Uh, I think there's Mm -hmm. lots of justification there for parenting in all different kinds of ways. And I think we're actually all called to parent in different ways. Interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, I think about the people in my life who have been parents to me. Um, and some of them are like my own age, mm-hmm. even, you know, some of my some of my best friends have been there for me in moments where I was incredibly vulnerable and had something going on in my life where um, I, you know, parent is not an inappropriate word for that. Um you know, that's, it's just an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. It does feel like, um, our emphasis within the church is to 
to create a nuclear family and to have kids. Like, I don't see a whole lot of other examples outside of, like, maybe um, certain denominations and their um, celibacy uh, issue uh, uh, requirements for clergy and things like that, um, or, like, uh, nuns and stuff like that. Um, typically, if you're not, then you're, the, you're encouraged to get married, have kids, and anything outside that is is outside the norm and kind of, um, I don't know, I think leads people to feel like they don't fit in. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. The church that we're in currently is majority white, but a lot of queer families, and so they're is more, uh, um, there's more adopted kids in the context in which I am, but it's, and there are a lot of, uh, a child free or childless. I, I still feel like we need to get a better word for that. What does that mean to, for people not to have children, but, um, child free couples. Mm-hmm. So in that particular context, it doesn't feel as different, but I think it's also a different kind of congregation from the norm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Sadly, I think you're right about that. Um, I wonder if you, you brought up, uh, words like child free and childless, (laughs) you know, I listened to this really interesting, I think it was a conversation with Terry Gross on the longest, shortest time. I think, um, they interviewed Terry Gross on why she doesn't on the decision to not Mm -hmm. have kids. And they talked about the words child free and childless. And I think Terry says she doesn't use the words child, the word child free, because she she knows people who kind of that that bristles it uh it sounds like she's saying you're burdened with your children and I'm child free um but that she also doesn't like the word childless and um I think you're totally right that we need a better word for people who decide not to have kids um because both of those words kind of have they're just not quite the right fit and I think childless is difficult because um it implies that you're missing something if you don't have yeah. kids and so yeah That's I just tricky. <laughs> so I wonder if we could go back yeah. to the point I was raising before which is I think all of us in the faith community specifically in the Christian context are called to be parents to children to help raise children to be there in community for people who are parenting um to help you know the kind of it takes a village mentality and if everyone mm-hmm. is playing a role in that that might look different from the other then we wouldn't need to make these distinguish these distinctions between mm-hmm. people who biologically birth children versus those who adopt versus those who foster versus those who are just honorary parents and on Sunday morning or whenever it is you know i think that i would rather us focus on that than focusing on the definitions and i will just say this is real talk. I was at a conference this weekend where, where childcare was provided most of the time, but there were periods of time when childcare was not available. And I, I ended up having to watch my own child, which is fine, but no one really offered to help. Uh, when, even though I was struggling and people seemed to want to observe my child and say that she's cute or, watch her do things. But in terms of people knowing how to step up and offer real help just seems to be a place in the church where we could really work. And so I don't know exactly what that would look like because I know there's boundaries with taking care of kids, but I think it's something that we ought to work toward. 
You know, I think this is a really important point that you're bringing up because we, um, something about American culture, you know, we encourage families to, you know, we encourage people to have kids and then we don't want to help them with those kids at all in any way as a society. And we also create spaces that are really hostile to kids being present. And it's not that same way in other cultures. Other cultures can be much more welcoming of children and understanding that children are always around and adults are really quick to pitch in with kids that aren't theirs. And here it it feels like there's um, this emphasis that we all have to have a nuclear family and then we move away from our from our family of origin with that nuclear family. And um, and then we just have to sort of like figure out our community. And I think you're right that the church is this natural place that people go to find that community. And we really aren't doing a great job with, with acknowledging the sort of like it takes a village mentality and, and being hands-on with each other's kids. And I um, – I have friends who like won't let people who aren't blood relatives watch their kids. And um, I understand from a like safety perspective that they feel like that's, you know, what they need. But, um, but they also, I was just talking to a friend last week who said, you know, her kids are a handful and she just wouldn't want to subject them to someone outside mm-hmm. of her family. And she would be afraid that they wouldn't know how to handle her kids. She's got twins. And they're um, not quite two. So there are a lot. But I said, you know, I think if you think about looking for, if you're trying to find some help with child care, looking for someone who grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters or looking for someone who is um, getting like an early childhood education degree. Like there are a lot of people out there that just because they don't have their own children doesn't mean that they don't have any idea of what it's like to be around little kids and can't take them off your hands for a couple Mm -hmm. of hours. Like it's... I don't know, but um, I that's a, a standard, <laughs> this um, idea that I need to be around my kids at all times and can't let anyone, aside from like a, a relative, watch them. That's a standard that actually scares me away from mm-hmm. having kids, to be totally I'm honest, sorry, because yeah. it's such an incredibly high yeah. bar and it necessitates me not working, to be totally yeah. honest. I mean, I think it's a white people thing, too. What you're describing about yeah. the nuclear yeah. family and I'm sure you're you know, right. being in your own house and taking care of your own children and not letting anybody anybody else in. Just the isolationist ethic behind that feels very white to me. And I don't think communities of color have ever had the luxury of enjoying that, but also um, you know, don't necessarily because of that don't experience the same kinds of isolation that you're describing so I just I wonder about both of us coming growing up in predominantly white communities if that's part of what we've yeah what we've seen and the people that we hang with but um I'd be curious to talk to you know people who were in more diverse communities or in communities of color about like what was that ethic of child rearing where you lived was it more of like yeah. a group, mm-hmm. uh, parenting thing or did you experience isolation it would be an interesting question to ask maybe we should make that a future podcast topic That was a really great conversation, and I look forward to future episodes where we can dig even more deeper, deeply, into conversations about parenting. But now let's talk about what we're reading, our favorite segment. So, Ashley, what have you been reading these days? So, for my um, next Read Harder Challenge book, I had to read a book that I've already read. 
So I decided to pick up a different version of one of my all-time favorite books, which is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. I read it for the first time when I was about 10 years old, and it um, has never left me. And it's one that I've returned to. um, I've read it probably four or five times over my life. And I just found out that there is a graphic novel version of this book. And um, I picked it up. It's it's great. It doesn't, um, to me, it doesn't hold a candle to the, uh, original because I really liked having the ability to kind of picture my own, um, imagine my own characters and worlds and things like that. But, um, but I really, I thought it was a cool format for this story. And the, but the main reason that I'm so interested to, to catch back up on the story is that the movie is coming out next year and I'm, really excited about the movie. It's going to be, um, it's directed by Ava DuVernay, who's one of my favorites. And, um, Reese Witherspoon is in it. Oprah is in it. And the main character, Meg Murray is going to be played by a young girl of color. And I just am really thrilled to see this movie adaptation happen. There've been a few movie adaptations of it and they've been terrible. (laughs) Um, so bad. So I'm thrilled to see this new take on it. And, um, I am excited to see what Ava DuVernay does with it. Um, so yeah, that's what that's what I've been reading. And I will just say, at your suggestion, I picked up A Wrinkle in Time, and I'm about halfway through and have loved reading Yay! it. I missed out on it as a child, but it's fun to read a children's literature uh, piece of fiction later in life, too. So thank you for the recommendation. I have been reading something by Robin DiAngelo. She's a white woman who is credited with the phrase white fragility. And Hmm. she wrote a book called What Does It Mean to Be White? And I'm about a third of the way through it. So I don't have a whole sense of the book, but it's a very basic introductory, probably textbook for white people to understand that, yeah, you actually do have a construction of race that you live in that you've never had to think about because you're in the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And so how do we have conversations about whiteness and what that means? And I've been using it in some group settings. And one of the things that I have found is it's really challenging uh, to be a white person and talk about being white and what that means. Mm -hmm. We will do whatever we can to get away from that conversation. Uh, It's actually one of the coping strategies that she names in the book. So it's been a personal challenge to me, but I'm looking forward to bringing it to some of the groups that I'm in that are full of white people so that we can really have honest, open conversation about constructions of whiteness. Because I think we can't engage conversations about racial justice without understanding what it means to be a white person in the United States. Uh, so mm-hmm. we continue to learn and grow. And um, I, I would recommend the book if this is a new issue for you. Yeah, I'm going to pick that up. That sounds awesome. I'll send you, I'll send you my copy when I'm done. How about oh, that? Oh, okay. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Great. So now we're to our last segments of the day, our kindreds of the moment. And I think, kindreds Ashley, you're up this week. All right, so our kindred of the moment is Miss Serena Williams. Uh, we just learned that she is pregnant. Yay. And not only is she pregnant, which we're thrilled about, but that she was pregnant when she won the Grand Slam tournament in Australia. And um, we're just, I know, so badass. It's awesome. Um, so, yeah, we just want to lift her up and um, and just 
say that to me anyway, that's an inspiration. Um, I think it fits in really well with this conversation about deciding whether or not to have kids because she's, um, in her early thirties to mid thirties. And, um, this is her first child and she's already, um, gone on the record as saying she has no intention of quitting tennis. Um, but that she's going to take some time off. And I just think it's a great, um, a great model, um, and a reminder that we can, you know, the decision to have kids, not to have kids, it's just unique to all of us. And, um, yeah, it gives me, just makes me feel better about, about going forward in this decision-making process to know that I have lots of options. Absolutely. I'm lucky. And, and her breaking mythology around what it means to be a parent and what things you have Mm -hmm. to totally give up. Uh, I think the fact that she was able to perform at that capacity while pregnant is just super heroic. Uh, I don't think all of us yeah. could do that, but I think in terms of her being really public about her desire to come right back to the sport that she loves and figure out a way to do that is, yep. is really inspiring and, um, leads us into conversation about what it means to be a parent and to have other things that you want to do in the world. So go Serena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go Serena. All right. All right. Well, next time we're going to be talking about dress codes for women. So we will mm. talk to you then about that totally uncontroversial topic next time. <laughs> talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 